the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and this week my special guest is gardening writer and broadcaster Jeff Hodge. Coming up, we'll be answering your questions on everything from grapevines to sweet peas. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. Jeff, welcome to the programme, and what a lovely, mild end to January it was. A bit of a real contrast, that frost and ice we recently had. Uh, so come on, what's going to be your first tip? I, right. I'm scared to ask. Are you? Well, I'm, I'm very much on trend this week. Uh, because obviously one of the main news stories over the last couple of days has been the huge vegetable shortage because of the problems over in Europe. So for those of you that want to have lettuces at this time of year or want to have perhaps a few salad leaves... You can see me smiling, can't you? I can. I, you can see I don't eat much lettuce in winter. Well, there's not a lot of people do, but there's a lot of people that like to. So uh, this is a great time to prepare the soil so that it's ready for sowing and planting later in the spring. Put some clear polythene, not black polythene, clear polythene over the soil or some cloches to warm it up so that you can make an earlier start. And if you want to make a really early start, then you can actually sow the seeds indoors in warmth, preferably in in a propagator or a nice warm conservatory, which has got plenty of light. And you then need the warmth afterwards for the plants to grow on so that you can then plant them out in the garden under your uh, clear plastic or your cloches later at the end of this month or maybe in early March. But you can still, if you've got the right conditions, you can grow really quick maturing things indoors so that you you could have a few things in a couple of weeks' time. What could you grow? Come on. Well, you can do any of the salad leaves. If you want, uh, if you're very trendy and you're into your microgreens, so there's there's lots of those sort of things that you can uh, grow at this time of year. And recently in Garden News, you know, I do product testing. Mm. I've been testing these grow light systems specifically aimed at growing things completely out of season. And they are brilliant. They work really, really well. What lighting are they actually using now? Because uh, are they using LEDs yet? Or? One of the ones I tested that was actually one of my best buys was using uh, red LEDs. The others were using... Um, a a grow tube with um, the complete spectrum of light, Mm. whereas the LEDs were specifically designed at producing red and blue light for for plants. It is incredible what you can grow then, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, people will try them on a windowsill, but a windowsill may not have enough light. One of them fits on a windowsill and then gives you that extra lighting so you can produce crops really, really quickly. So get on, look at the things that are going to be Still not there well, as they, we go towards Easter well, and beyond. Saying, they are saying that March and April there will still be shortages because it's going to take that long before they can get on the ground to start planting. Or just change the way you eat. Well, yes, or, or, or have hearty stews. Hey, hearty stews, that's what I like, yes, hearty stews. Well, I'm going to be a bit more, um, bit more basic. Um, I've been out looking at a few lawns and in fact... At this time of the year, it's very easy because you've done pruning over the winter and all those sort of things. And in fact, it's a great danger. You tread the edges. The edges have been damaged during the summer mm. by children, grandchildren, yep. anybody. 
great time to edge them up. You're not mowing the lawn every week. You're mowing it when you have to at this time of the year. So use a good string line and stretch it really tight. Now, some people will cut the edge off a string line only. I I'm don't. not very good at that. I like to use a scaffold board or yep. a board. Yeah, do you I do the a, same? I, I use a board. And then the most important thing is a sharp half moon. Yeah, don't use a spade. No, don't use a spade. Well, not unless you want a, 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 a horrible scallop. scalloped edge. The other great thing about using a board is that because, like most people down in, in, in Essex, I have horrible clay soil. Mm. If you don't have a board, when you're on, actually standing on the lawn to do the edging, you can compact the soil and make it okay. worse and, and get moss in. Mm. With a board, it spreads your weight. Now then, don't waste that cuttings, because when you cut the piece off, it's got a bit of grass in it. Stack it in a little stack next to the compost heap or mix it into the compost heap wouldn't hurt but it produces a nice soil doesn't it over a period of time nice, nice bit of loam yes or if you've got any bare patches in the lawn use you could it use that to, to fill it up to again fill up, yeah. so I'll get those lawns looking immaculate ready for spring okay well I'm looking uh, on the patio because everybody's into their patios these days and more and more plants now are being grown long term. So we're doing trees and, and shrubs and perennials in our containers. So anything that's been in there for a long time or you know, two or three years or more, good idea to sort of freshen things up a bit. So uh, all you need to do is um, either with your fingers or with a, with a hand fork is to just scrape off the top inch or so of the old compost and put that on the compost heap, don't waste that either, and then replace that with some fresh compost, and then add a controlled release fertilizer into it, and that's gonna then feed your plants for the next, well, up to the next six months. So it's gonna make your life a lot easier, and your plants will love it, because they've got, they've got that little bit of extra compost to grow into, and they've got some beautiful fertilizer. If, if you've got plants in there mm. that have been in there in the same container for years, they may need to be repotted into something a bit bigger. Is it worth pulling the, if it will come out of the container, and then teasing the roots and trying to get some of the, that compost yeah, out and putting I, fresh I, round? Yeah, I go over the surface, the outer surface, mm. with a, again, with a hand fork, just to roughen it up and take away any really Because you won't old hurt compost. the roots, will you, well, if you, you roughen you'll, them You'll a give bit. them a little bit of damage, but that might actually stimulate mm. fresh, new root growth. And, of course, at this time of year, they're not growing that much. So it's a, a fabulous time to do that. Well, I'm going to stay on patios because they're looking a bit grotty at this time of the year, aren't they? Can be, you know, yes. A bit of moss, a bit of mildew. Dangerous as well because yeah. they're slippery. So really it's worth cleaning them off. Now, some people use pressure washers. <laughs> there is a danger, isn't there, Jeff, with using a pressure washer? Well, pressure washers are really quick but because they blast all the debris <laughs> around the garden so they don't actually get rid of the moss. They, they just, move it. They just spread it all over the place. And they also can pick out the pointing and yes, jointing yeah. between the pavings. So, you know, maybe be a bit careful if you're using one of those. But there's a couple of products on the, on the market. One's called Patio Magic, which I think is magic because you don't have to rinse it off, do you? Or scrub. You, you just put it on. You put it into a watering can, water, water it on. It's so simple to use yeah. and it works. It yeah. really cleans a patio up. Um, I'm, I don't know, I like new, but it definitely cleans them up. Yeah, and it gets, get, gets rid of all that sort of surface grime. Yeah, it looks really good. So they're they my tips for this week, patios and patios. And uh, what's your last one then, Jeff? Okay, well, I'm, I'm kind of staying patios or I'm staying small gardens. Because, uh, again, at this time of year, it's, it's a fabulous time for planting all manner of trees, shrubs and herbaceous perennials. Um, and I, I suppose, again, a bit like the, the veg shortage, you know, there's, there's possibly going to be a bit of a fruit shortage this year. 
and growing your own orchard is possible even in a tiny garden and it's even possible on the patio providing you use um, dwarf rootstocks so that you don't get massive trees so if you use mm. a, a dwarfing rootstock you're going to get a tree that may grow seven or eight foot smaller than that if you if you grow it in a container um, obviously if you've got very uh, small space then you need to make sure that you have compatible varieties which isn't always possible with apples. You really do need two varieties of apples to get a good crop. But it doesn't you can, work otherwise, does it? Not really. You can get compatible pears. You can get compatible plums and cherries, etc. Um, and and just grow them in you know reasonable size containers. You know, eighteen inch is a sort of a minimum diameter. That's forty five centimeters. Use a John Innes number three compost because they're going to be in those containers for a long time. And you know even. To some extent this summer, but I always recommend to people to take the fruit off in the first year. Maybe leave one on just so that you can taste enjoy it, it and, and taste it. But certainly next year and then for, for many, many years, you're going to have some fabulous fruit that you can literally just go out your back door and go, oh, I fancy an apple today and just pick it off the tree and eat it. And it is amazing how dwarf fruit trees, you know, the patio style fruit trees do produce fruit so much faster, don't they, than one yep. planted yeah, in the and, garden? You know, there's, there's a patio variety of, you know, pretty well everything, everything you know, nectarines, quinces, plums, cherries, you name it. Meddlers even, even I saw. Meddlers, even yes. meddlers. But of course you can also do soft fruit, you know, there's some fabulous now raspberries, some dwarf raspberries that will give you a fabulous crop. There's now brand new this year, there's a trailing blackberry that you can grow in a hanging basket. You name it, it's there, get it on the patio. Is that right, Jeff? Get out there and grow it. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther every Saturday from 11. On the podcast each week, we look at some of those gardening events around the county for gardeners and those loving gardens and alike. Horticulture, anything to do with gardening. So let's start with Saturday the 11th of February. There's a family scarecrow making event at the RHS Hyde Hall where you can come along and make a scarecrow to decorate Hyde Hall's fields. A large scarecrow kit costs £8 and a small care scarecrow kit is £6. You have to book 0203... 176-5830. On Saturday the 11th of February as well, 9.30 to 1.30, the East Anglian Potato Day takes place at the Mid-Suffolk Showground Stonham Barns. Various stallholders, chip tasting, seed swap and loads more. Admission is a mere pound fifty. Wednesday the 15th of February, 12 till 3, Dragons at Boyton Cross, Chelmsford, is open to raise money for the National Garden Scheme. This is a really a plant's woman's garden. Three quarters of an acre and encouraging a lot of wildlife in there. So go and have a look and see what you can see. Admission is £4, children free. There'll also be homemade teas. Monday the 20th of February at 8pm, Billericay Horticultural Society have a talk by James Crevin Bailey on Topery. It takes place at Chantry Way Day Centre and visitors are very welcome. Last but not least, Friday the 19th, Saturday the 20th and Sunday the 21st of May, it is a reminder. Forward thinking we are here on BBC Essex, National Flower Show takes place, Highlands House. Put it in your diary now. If you have a gardening event, it's a reminder. Send it along to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour. Send me the details at least three weeks before. Ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk or send me it in the mail. BBC Essex, PO Box 765, Chelmsford CM2 9XB. 
Coming up next, myself and Jeff will be answering your gardening questions and we'll start with Alan and his white beetroot. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther every Saturday from 11. The white beetroot I had, I phoned up a couple of weeks ago. I remember it well, Alan. Right, um, well, we cooked them. Uh, they were really, really sweet. Just a little dab of salt on them and I put a couple in the oven and baked them and they were sweet. They were like sweet potatoes when they came out. But, uh, Fabulous. I don't really know what they are. And it's funny because that's what Jeff suggested, the roasting, didn't he? That was his idea in, in the oven, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Just put a little drop of oil, put them in with the roast potatoes and they came out a treat. That's it, that, that's they... how I do all my beetroots. What, what do you think they actually were? Well, I think we've got two options. We've either got uh, it is a rogue seed of, of, a, of a white variety or we have uh, a type of beet. Which obviously, so it could which be one of the sugar beets or uh, going... Well, yeah, mango wurzels. Mango wurzels, yes. Mango wurzels. But you enjoyed <laughs> it, which is the most important thing, isn't it? Right. Well, anyway, they were lovely. Um, the next one, uh, I want to grow some sweet potatoes this yes. year. Yes. Uh, how do I go about that? Uh, okay, um, you will uh, you will have to buy plants, yeah. which is how they are grown, and and you have two options. One of them is not great, and one of them is brilliant. So I'll go for the not great to start with, so we can knock that out of the way. Um, some suppliers provide what are known as slips, which are which are which are yeah, which are basically sort a, of mm. non-rooted cuttings, and then you have to try and root them, and and it's not a great way of I've doing tried it. That is a pain. It's a pain, yeah, and it's no good. Buying a packet from the supermarket and popping them in. No, no, don't no work. because what you need is a variety that is suited to the UK climate, and there's only right. one, and it's called Beauregard Improved. So, how's right. the easy method? Well, the easy method is to buy young plug plants, which you can okay. buy from one or two of the mail order seed companies. And you won't get them quite yet, will you? No, because they're not hardy, so you uh, wouldn't be planting them out until May. Then you need a really warm, sunny position because. Um, even Beauregard improved, if we have a really rubbish, uh, sunless summer, won't produce you a good crop. But I, I've grown it a couple of times, and when I've grown it, and I've even grown it under black polythene to keep keep the that soil works, warm, it? works really well. And I've had some great crops, and, and again, it tastes a lot different to the stuff that you would buy from the shop. Which is better, the one from the shop? No, absolutely not. They do just taste. No, they're, they're, they're quite an exciting taste. Yeah, because taste. you know the ones that have been that you buy. From America, well, usually. they've been carted all around the world. They've been dried. They've been in storage. You know, they're they're, they're pretty old. So they're a good taste, a good flavour. Oh, fabulous! They're and really, well worth growing. Really nutty, not nutty and just, sweet. I failed with the slips and haven't moved on. <laughs> buy buy young plants from one of the um, mail order suppliers from down in Torquay. Alan, give Thank it a go and can, come back to us and let us know how you get on because we'd love oh, to hear oh. how you get on. I will okay. do, thanks. Thank you very much indeed. And from there we go to Beryl in Braintree. He's asking about nematodes, is that right, Beryl? Yes, Ken. So uh, what's what ne Ken and Jeff. Yeah, morning. Um, what nematode? Because I believe you're supposed to use them um, a bit earlier than this, but can you tell me? Hello? What, what, are you, what are you trying to get rid of? I'm trying to get rid of slugs. Now, Slug. I've got a huge garden, okay. but I've got a lot of slugs. Okay. Um, I've got plants grown along the side of the house, and um, they they come out at night and crawl up the walls and across the paths. And I understand that nematodes might be useful to get rid of them, but I don't know what you do with them and where you get them. Can, can I just ask one question? Do you yeah. not like using slug pellets at all? 
I don't know. Do they actually... I mean, the slugs live underground, don't they? So, right, yeah, OK, yeah, Jeff, yeah. let's just run through quickly a couple of good methods of getting rid of slugs, because right. what would you use? Would you use slug pellets or would you use well, nematodes? I, I, I mainly use slug pellets in my garden, so but nematodes are a, are a very effective way of killing slugs. They won't attack snails at all, so it is only slugs. Um, it is organic. It's a, it's a, Which is good. A, it's a natural approach to, to, to slug control. And basically what you do is you go to one of the mail order suppliers, and there's about six of them. Um, you order it, and then they will send you the nematodes, which come in a in a pack. And in that pack there is basically a, a, like a brown powder. And you mix right. that you mix that up with water in a watering can, and you then just literally water it on the soil. The thing is with nematodes and all biological soil controls isn't it? is the conditions that you use them in, and they are quite sensitive. So it's too early now; it is too cold to use them. Usually, you can't start using them until March into April. It all depends on the temperature, mainly the soil temperature. Um, so, so it's a, it's not too late as you thought. It's actually a bit too early. Right. And are you able to advise me a mail order firm to send for them? Okay. Well, the one that I always recommend is a company called Green Gardener. And if you're on the internet, it's GreenGardener.co.uk. There's no, all. I'm not afraid. There's one in Essex as well, isn't there? Uh, there's the organic gardening <coughs> catalogue. Yep. They do it. Uh, Pippa Greenwood has actually got her own supplier as well. And the other one is a company called Defenders. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. And Thank you very uh, much. They'll um, but would they be more effective than um, <laughs> just ordinary slug pellets? Not necessarily. I personally, and this is, this is my own personal opinion, I, I think that the slug pellets are far more effective, providing they are used correctly, because they will also do snails, which the, which the nematodes don't. All right, OK. Well, thank you for that. Um, that might make me change my mind and you go back <laughs> to and, and if you're yes, using yes. slug pellets, just remind you, Beryl, and remind you, everybody, use them safely. Uh, there are there's safer ones. There's all of a range, huge range. Well, yes. If you don't like using the the old fashioned metaldehyde slug pellets, you can now buy them based on something called ferric phosphate, which again is a yeah. naturally occurring material. They are approved for organic gardening, um, and they are seen as being safer to wildlife. Not that the mm. metaldehyde ones are unsafe if used correctly. Okay. And that was ferric phosphate. Ferric phosphate, yeah, you would need to look at the label. You need to look at the small, the small print on the label and it will tell you that the active ingredient is ferric phosphate. Lovely. And would, they, would I be able to buy those at a local garden centre? Oh, yes. Any garden centre, your, your local DIY stores, they'll all have it. So anywhere you want to find it, you can find it. Don't forget, at number to call is 0300 200 You're listening to BBC Essex, the gardening phone-in with Jeff Hodge and Ken Crowther, talking gardening all the way through till 12. Text us here in the studio, 81333, pop Essex on the front, comes directly onto my screen and we can relay it at straight away do that one as well i just need to add one one little thing other on the on the nematodes of the nematodes well and the the slug pellets is that slug pellets are so much cheaper nematodes are going to cost you about 15 16 quid and you might need to do two or three applications so they aren't that's an interesting point john from brentwood we're talking amaryllis aren't we john yes good morning jeff and ken um seven here by the way in brentwood Oh, nice and uh, tropical almost. Yes, almost tropical. Uh, 
My amaryllis is on the on the the grow now. It's about three inches. Should I be feeding them with what? Um, okay, so the, the the bulb is just shot, and you've got about three inches of leaf. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Once once they start coming into growth, you can start feeding. Uh, to be perfectly honest, it doesn't really matter too much what you use. Um, obviously, it needs to be a, a liquid fertilizer. Um, if you've got a houseplant feed there, if you've got any baby bio, if you've got any tomorite or a tomato uh, food, yeah. any of those, to be honest, will be fine. And you keep feeding while they are in leaf. Right. So okay. when, when the flowers fade, take off the faded flowers and the, and the developing seed pods. Do not cut the leaves down. Keep, keep the plant growing. Keep it watered when needed. Keep feeding it once a week or once a fortnight. And it's only when the leaves naturally start to turn yellow that you stop feeding and you stop watering and you allow it to die down. Right, thank you. Can I just mention nematodes? Go, yeah. please do. <clears throat> right, you just said about these other uh, slug pellets are more effective, but say you've got a tortoise running around the garden, he'll pick those slug pellets up. He, so, he might well do. He might not necessarily... Risky, though, isn't it? Well, if it's a, if it's one of the ferric phosphate ones, then the the, the be, being an uh, being an iron based product, it's unlikely to do him any damage. He might he might even build up his muscles. Uh, uh, right. <laughs> so what um, one was that? Well, it, all the manufacturers now produce slug pellets based on ferric phosphate. Ferric so, phosphate. so you need to check the label when you yeah. go into the garden centre to see the active ingredients for phosphate. The other thing is because they are blue, uh, a lot of animals, and this is why they're coloured blue, is a lot of animals can't actually see that colour. So he may ac- he may accidentally pick one up, but he he wouldn't necessarily be able to see it if you see what I mean. And you can right, also yeah. also place pellets below things, can't you? Uh, you know, put two bricks and something so that. The, the tortoise couldn't oh, get right. there. No, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no! Don't do that because that's not how that's not how you use. I slug know pellets. it's not, but you can do it. Yes, but you wouldn't because that's not how they work. And <laughs> by making piles of no, them is, is when the I'm problem starts. Okay. And Steve has got a problem. He says with his lawn. Is that right, Steve? Yeah. Good morning, guys. Yes. Would... Um, yeah, I've uh, core plugged all my lawns front and back. Um, now, should I scarify prior to putting top dressing on? And what would be the idea weather? Because at the moment it's a bit too wet. And by scarifying it, I'm just going to pull up a lot of grass rather than thatch. Uh, okay, um, okay. You should have actually done the scarifying first. first, Steve. Right. Uh, that, that's the that's the usual way around. Is that you scarify and then you do the aeration and mm-hmm. then you, and then you do the top dressing. Right. Um, is it worth doing a top dressing? Well, the the, the simple answer is if uh, you're on heavy clay soil, then the simple answer is definitely yes, because mm-hmm. basically what the uh, what the top dressing does is that it will keep all those holes open that you've made. Because mm-hmm. gen- generally speaking, on heavy clay soil, once you start walking on the lawn, all those fabulous holes that you've spent <laughs> hours and hours making start start to sort of compact in again. Well, so I did top top that every core was sort of dry the further i went down it was it's still so very dry the ground 
Yeah, I know. It, 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 we haven't had enough to really soak in. Um, and as for weather, well, because you are, once you've applied it, because you are going to try and brush the top dressing down into the soil and into those holes, mm-hmm. it really needs to be reasonably dry. Otherwise, if you put it on wet, it just, just goes claggy, it, doesn't it? Yeah, and it just sticks to the grass. Yes, I know, yeah. And if you've got heavy soil, it's really, I mean, I add extra gritty sand to my top dressing, even if, if you're using a soil top dressing, because most of them are a mix, aren't they, yep. of screen yeah. soil, etc. But it's worth adding gritty, so, gritty sand. Right. All right? And well, one th- thank you very much. And one thing to say to everybody out there that's thinking about scarifying their lawn and it's got moss in, just remember that never scarify live moss because if you do, you're just going to spread it around and make it worse. You have to kill it first. Kill it first. That's what it is. Now, well, talking of much nicer things, Phil in Colchester, aren't we? What are we talking about, Phil? Uh, great minds, Ken. Morning, Ken. Morning, Hi. Jeff. Morning. Um... I took 13 cuttings off my grapevine last year and 12 took. So I wanted to plant them over the allotment. I would just wonder what spacings and, you know. It depends how you're going to grow, how you're going to grow them. Just on wires, you know. See, what you could do is, is space them quite close and then prune them quite tight in and keep them like a, um, a, single, a, single, a single cordon. A single cordon. That's oh, what I yeah, think I would do. Um, do they come true to type? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Anything, yep. anything that you grow from a cutting will be true to the uh, the parent well, it came from. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone told me that they wouldn't. But yeah, well, you don't, you don't listen to some people. No, just listen to us, <laughs> Phil. What, um, what grapevine is it, Phil? I don't know. So that's just a green. I don't know. That was here when we moved in. So I'll just... uh, is it a sweet one? I mean, yeah, when it's it pre- very sweet. Yeah. All right. I've got it on the house. Yeah. And then I. Sort of pruned it. I thought, well, I'll stick the cuttings in, see yep. what happens, and thirteen and twelve come. Well, Brilliant. if you if you if you don't want to use up huge areas of of your veg plot, what we've just said is grow them as cordons, and you just keep keep picking at the buds, and so you just end up with one main stem yeah. on onto yeah. wires in a line. Put lots of wire, you know, upright stems all along a stretch of wires, and yeah. then just keep lots of little buds, and you'll find they'll produce grapes all the way down. Then, oh, they will, will they? Oh. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I personally, I'd probably plant them about 18 inches apart. Yeah, a couple of feet. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's all right, because I've got the allotment, so I'm just, just going to put them along an edge, you know, like a... No, that sounds brilliant. Or, yeah, know. as long as you put the wires up, and don't forget, you know, at, at that spacing, they are going to need, you know, a, a, reasonable, a reasonable amount of watering in the summer and certainly lots of feeding. So make yeah. sure you prepare that soil and make a nice trench with lots of organic material in and, and feed them regularly with a good fertiliser. And east-west you need them, don't you? Uh, well, east-west so that they face yeah. north-south. South. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. We've had two peonies in very large pots in the back garden for about the last seven years. Uh, we've had some beautiful blooms on them. But for the last two years, all we've had is um, leaf stalks coming up. We've had no blooms on them whatsoever. Is there anything I can do to try and encourage them to bloom again? Um, John, have you uh, have you ever sort of um, repotted them or have you ever sort of top-dressed the containers? No, we haven't. And what do you mean by top-dressed? OK, I'll go, th- go around that in a minute. Um, and presumably you haven't moved them, so they are in the same position. Okay. All right. There's a couple of obviously without seeing the plants, I can't give you an an exact diagnosis, but there are a couple of possible things that have happened. 
And the first one, of course, is that like any plant, it's become pot bound in its container, uh-huh. which has affected its growth and its flowering. And one way that you can improve that is by top dressing. So basically all that means is, and this is the time of year to do it, is um, either with a gloved hand or, or with a, a hand fork, and obviously doing it carefully, is that you scrape off about the top two inches or inch or two of, of compost. Uh-huh. And then you just replace it with fresh compost. Right. But mixed into that compost, you use a controlled <laughs> release fertilizer. And then that will that will literally feed the plant for the whole of this year. It, it'll only feed when the plant needs it, and you can't underfeed and you can't overfeed. And, and depending on the one you use, can last for up to six months. How big are the containers, just out of interest? Um, they're, they're quite large pots. They're probably about uh, two feet in oh, okay. diameter. All right, no, that's fine. No, that's fine. And then the other thing is, uh, and this this happens um, regularly, but it has happened certainly over a lot over the last two or three years, and that's a fungal disease yeah. called peony bud blight. Sorry, not blood blight. Blast. Peony bud blast. blast. And do you know why it's called peony bud blast? I can't even spell it. Well, peony, peony. And, then, and then bud. As in, as in a you know, as in a growth bud, and then blast, as in B L A S T. And do you know why it's called that? No. Well, it's on. You get it on peonies. It affects the buds, and when it happens to you, you go, "Oh, blast!" Oh, no, it isn't. It's because so, they never yeah. come. Come on, get on with it. So, you know? if you're being naughty with jokes, if you've got tortoises running around the garden chasing slug pellets, they should be put in the Olympics. And <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, the, what happens is that as the um, the the buds form. They are attacked by this botrytis disease, which then causes... And you can always tell. Like if I could see the plant, I could tell. It, it basically turns the buds black. They never get any bigger than a pea size, and then they obviously don't develop into flowers and don't open. So when it comes into... That. Right, so that's what you've got then. You've got peony bud blast. So how do you get rid of that? All right, when the plant comes into leaf, then spray with a systemic fungicide, such as uh, Bayer Garden Fungus Fighter or uh, Fungus Clear Ultra. Okay. That's ever so helpful. I've had to do, do the, a hell of a lot of writing, but thank you ever so much for your help. Do the top dressing as well, because that is well worth doing as well, because that will really give it a boost, won't I had it? I do a lot of talking. You did. So, Jenny in Rayleigh is asking about a standard rose, aren't you, Jenny? Uh, yes, good morning, Ken and Jeff. Uh, I've just been outside as it's, you know, relatively nice morning and just moved the standard rose that I've got in a large pot, and I moved it to, you know, like sweep round it, put it back where it was. And I've just noticed that the stem and the branches are covered in green fly. And I'm just wondering, is this normal or do they really just want to go after my rose bush? No, they just think it's spring. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, uh, all, all insect pests, uh, their activity is totally determined by weather. And, right. and because we haven't had a particularly severe winter, you know, they, they can remain active all all year round. And you know, some some aphids, uh, you know, there's Survivors. hundreds of different species of aphids, and and some of them particularly like roses. You know, like the black bean aphid particularly likes black beans, beans etc. So um, either get out there with spray it with 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 a pair of gloves and squash them, or spray it with an insecticide. It's as simple as that. Yeah, get out there, get going and get gardening. And Grace from Pitsy, what do you got for us? Something sweet peas are you, are you after? Yeah, someone's given me a pot with some seeds on the top and a bag of compost. It mm-hmm. tells me what to do, but it doesn't tell me 
what what month I've got to do it. Isn't it February, Jeff, that people start sweet peas? Well, February is a good, good month, month to, to do, start sweet, to do peas, sweet peas, isn't it? Oh, January's right, okay. okay, March is pretty good, or, or even September, now, October. Now, come on, February's the month. <laughs> yeah, I only, only got them today for my birthday, so I've read the Happy birthday. Yes, happy birthday from us oh, all yeah, here at BBC Essex. But it doesn't say when, so end of February? No, well, now. You can do yeah. it now. Yeah. I mean, okay. wait, wait until you've got over your hangover on your birthday from, from <laughs> celebrating and, and, then, and then sew them. OK, then. Thank you very much. It's funny because uh, it, it is a thing, isn't it? Gardeners have got these set times when they like to do specific things. <laughs> so oh, yeah, or not. Or not, as the yes, case may be. Case yes. be. Yeah. Um, right, let's, uh, let's talk orchids with Barbara from Dagnum. Hello, Barbara. Oh, hello there, Ken. I wonder if you could help me. I had a beautiful orchid bought for me for Christmas, and um, it's, it's in a glass tall, two and a half foot gl- uh, vase, tall vase, and it's as high as the vase. And yeah, I've had some beautiful flowers on it, and Gorgeous. I've still got flowers on it, but mm-hmm. I've got so many, there's so and the lovely green, big green leaves and smaller ones coming up, but there's loads and loads of um, shoots all bound in the pot at the bottom, like and, and hanging over the top like legs, and they're um, the roots. They're the they're aerial the roots. roots. Yep. I couldn't think of the word for the minute. Um, and I know I've got to repot it, but I don't know if there is a special compost or it's got two big green cane, two canes. Um, to it, right. is it, it up and it's getting taller and it's got new shoots coming up. Okay, well, Barbara, you, the, f- the first thing to say is you don't have to repot it. it at all. Oh, I don't. No, 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 no. Orchids actually prefer to be pot bound. I mean, uh, orchids are, are a bit unusual in that in the wild they actually grow on trees and they use those roots to anchor them to the tree. That's oh. why we that's why we grow them. You've probably seen that the compost is in fact not proper compost, it's just bark. It's trying to mimic the bark that they grow on in the wild. I um, took the bark out. You did what? I took the bark bit out, what oh. was on top of it. <laughs> no, okay. you should have left that in. <laughs> oh, I'll get it back out the bin again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and um, and so the the pot is is literally just sort of you know holding the plant in place. You can grow massive orchids in tiny pots. It it, it doesn't matter if if you find that it's getting a bit top heavy and it keeps yeah. and it keeps falling over because yeah. it's in a small pot, then you could repot it into something bigger. But it, yeah. it isn't it isn't essential. Well, and if you I are put it back in the glass vase again, though, it's two and a foot, two and a half foot tall. Yeah, you see, I oh. think it's a, it's it's one of those um, orchid pots that's pushed into a vase, isn't it? Yeah. Which is what yeah. they used to do, don't yeah. they? Looking it in and out, you know, carefully. That's all right. I'd Take just, it out, water it. I've just done that. Yeah. yeah. And then when it's drained, push it back into the vase again. That's put fine. It back in the vase. Yeah. It's so beautiful because the flowers are, are big flowers, and I've had lots of flowers on it. Yeah. They're like big. Ones like um, what do you call them, pansies, big yeah. pansies. That's why it's called the pansy flowered orchid. Now, oh, is that just what it is? <laughs> yeah, has it nearly finished flowering, or has it got loads no, on it? It's new shoots. I've got two, two or three more flowers Brilliant. on it, and I've got new shoots coming up Good. on well, it as well. Ready when to it come out. When it finishes flowering, Barbara, give us another call, and we'll tell you what to do with it when it's finished flowering. But in the meantime. Treat it as you are today. Keep it in that thing. Is it worth giving it a bit of orchid feed, do you think? Oh, Jeff? absolutely, yeah. yeah. Get we'll, an orchid we'll, dripper. 
Yeah, an orchid drip feed or use one of the orchid mists that you mist onto the foliage. And, and if you are going to repot it, then you do have to use a specific orchid compost. And but you, you, can, you can go to any garden centre, any DIY store, and they'll sell you little bags of orchid compost. But she hasn't got to. But she hasn't. No, no, absolutely not. Not at all. No. Sue from Battlesbridge, have you got a small holding then, Sue? I have indeed, yes, about so, 12 acres. Oh, lovely. So tell us more about what you're trying to do there. Um, well, we have a ditch down one side of our small holding, yep. and we've got um, one upright willow tree and two very large weeping willows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to... Well, we've, we've had to clear the ditch, so we've had to cut down a lot of what was there. Um, so I'd like to get something growing up there again quickly. Um, and I was hoping to be able to take some cuttings of the willows because I believe they're, they're supposed to be quite easy. <laughs> yeah, they are. You just push, oh, just push them in the ground. Any particular time of the year? or Now? <laughs> Well, oh, right. it, well, in theory, November is the best time, but you, with, you now, with, certainly you? with willows, you can do them now. Oh, excellent. In so fact, they just cut them off how, and shove them in the ground. Yeah, cut. how long is this piece that's wet that's laying against a brook? Um, oh, my goodness. It's about... I mean, very long? 170 metres. 270 metres? You could, yes. I mean, you want, to get, you want to talk to rights and grow a few cricket bat willows along it. <laughs> Because that's what people do, and really? then they, yeah, and then they're harvested after so many years uh, and used for cricket bats. Oh, brilliant! And, and whereabouts are rights? Rights are in Essex, uh, up near Great Leeds. Near Great Leeds, brilliant! Yeah. Thank you. It's worth I have a chat. Got another question. I don't know whether you can help me. Go on, we we'll go for um, it quickly. <laughs> well, we've got the Woodland Trust came in about oh, 15, 20 years ago, something like that, and planted a large area with trees, um, well, native trees and hedgerow plants, um, but not as a hedgerow. But they have, they've actually planted them way too close because you can't really walk through them. The smallest of these trees is about 10 foot high, but the largest would be about 20 foot. They're all native trees. Are we able to dig them up and move them further into the more barren land? We've, we've got a digger. If that helps. <laughs> um, Eighteen foot tree that's been left alone. The, the, yeah, ten to twenty foot. Any can, of them. Are. You can. You can. I mean, I, I, I saw some pictures last week of, of of a company that moved a forty foot tree. They however, used a tree mover. However, they used a specific piece of equipment called a tree mover, which literally has this sort of bucket. That is a is like a, a double a double spade, if you like, and it and it literally goes down into the soil and then grasps around the roots and takes out a massive root system. Because if you imagine, a massive tree is yes. supported by a massive root system. And the, and the dogs don't agree. No. Yeah, but if you chop all the roots off, if you chop all the roots off, the tree isn't going to survive. So these, these tree diggers literally rip out a massive, massive root ball that weighs tons. And, and, that, and that's how it's done commercially. Can All right. we hire one of those? As I uh, said, we've got, we've got You a, most likely couldn't... <laughs> you couldn't hire the, the, the machinery, but you could hire the company that would come and do it for you. And there is one in Essex in Brentwood. So they are, there's another company you can look for. There's one in Brentwood, so I, I know that, in fact. And 
Hazelyn Hadley, who's uh, Amaryllis's finished flowering. Is that right, Amaryllis? Uh, yeah, right, Hazel? I've had some lovely flowers on it, but Gorgeous it's still dying back now. So uh, is what it's, do I do with it? Has it still got its stem up high? Yes, up, yeah. I, I, it's still got some flowers on it that are... Okay. Now, but but I'm, I'm concerned, Hazel, that you're saying it's dying back. What do, what do yeah. you mean? What do you mean by that? Um, the flowers, the flowers. Ah. Just the flowers, not the leaf, okay. not the leaf. Okay. Well, um, as we mentioned uh, earlier, um, basically, the, the, uh, as for just about any bulb, after flowering is the most important part of its life cycle because it's right. it's now once it finishes flowering, it will be making its flower buds for next year. And if okay. you want a good display next year, how you care for it now will decide whether you get a good display next year. Right, so, I'm all ears. Good. <laughs> so and it's my birthday today as well. Oh, happy, oh, birthday, happy birthday, Hazel! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we'll, we'll come round to the house and sing you happy birthday in a minute. Uh, I'll, I'll pass on that one. Oh, uh, thanks. All right. <laughs> Thank you very uh, much. Well, I'm, not answer, I'm not answering your question then if you're going to be no, rude. No, Go on, carry on. Okay, so when the flowers fade, you take off the developing seed pod behind because you don't want it wasting energy in producing seeds. Right. You leave the actual tall flower stalk in place. You then keep watering it to keep the compost evenly moist and you feed it regularly with a liquid uh, plant food as recommended on its uh, on its label. So that's either once a week, every 10 days, once a fortnight, whatever it says is the uh, recommended rate. Okay. And you basically keep it growing for as long as possible. Now, the problem is that amaryllis produce these huge leathery leaves after flowering and they look... Uh, and they. <laughs> And they look ugly, and most people then want to cut them off. But if you cut them off, it won't feed the bulb, and you won't get good flowers the following year. Right. Okay. So keep it, so keep it, feed, keep watering, keep feeding, keep it growing, keep it growing until the leaves of their own accord start to turn yellow, which means that they are dying back. Then you stop feeding, you stop watering, you allow the leaves to completely die, and then you put it somewhere out of the way where it can stay dormant. You don't need to water it. So you dry it off, then do you repot it? No, never repot amaryllis until it actually breaks out of the pot. They prefer to be pot-bound. And then next autumn, it'll start to come back into growth and then you can start watering and feeding it again and you'll have a fabulous display next year. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex. Steve, what you got in Bowers Gifford for us? Oh, good morning. Um, it's just a problem. I'm uh, due to move shortly to mm. another property. Yes. And the back fence is absolutely covered in ivy. It's gone into the shed, lifting the roof. It's spreading all over the uh, garden itself. Right. Okay. And uh, I wonder if you can help us out and recommending anything I can do about this problem. You so, see, so what do you want to do? So you want to get rid of it? Yeah, I want to get rid of it. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a big dark green leaf. Okay, see, well, I the... often leave them on fences because they look quite attractive. It's like having a green hedge, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you could leave it on the fence as long as you can stop it doing the other things, couldn't you, Jeff? Yeah, and and the, to be honest, the quickest and the easiest way of getting rid of ivy is, is literally just to cut it, cut it down, or cut out what you don't want. Oh right! If you, uh, I've gone back after a, it's been a few months since I've been down there, and it's all over the shed uh, walls and up. Yeah, well, because it pro- by about sixteen foot. Because it produces aerial roots, 
um, oh. which it, which it clings with. If you're trying to take it off something like a, a a wooden fence or off a shed, you have to do it quite carefully because if you just rip at it, it will rip some of the wood away because the aerial roots are attached to the surface of whatever it's climbing to. So you might need to get a paint uh, wallpaper um, scraper to try and scrape it off. But generally speaking, all you have to do is cut it, cut cut back what you don't want where you don't want it growing. If you want to kill the whole thing, yeah. then you will need to spray it with a weed killer based on glyphosate. The problem is that uh, it's a bit cold to be doing it at this time of year. It probably Another won't be so, probably won't be warm enough till March, April, March, which means April. That you, which means you're going to have to leave it for for six or uh, so weeks. So you might as well cut it back. Which is why I said it's the quickest method. Hey, um, and do you recommend? Uh, a particular brand for well uh, there's hundreds on the market just go yeah. into any just go into any garden center and look for the active ingredient glyphosate um and uh, that's the one you want but you have to remember that glyphosate is a total weed killer so yeah. if you get it on the leaves of any plant it will kill it so you have to be very very careful how you spray it but really steve start off by cutting back and scraping off if it's brickwork if your if your garage is brick or stone or anything like that, you can scrape it off with a paint scraper, can't you? Well, that's what I I've got an yeah. old uh, an old wallpaper. Yes, yeah, that's one stripper, it. and I, and I keep that in the sh in the garage just... if, if I need to remove ivy. Yeah. So that's start with cutting back, and then work to the weed killer when you want to get rid of it. A bit later on, when it's warm enough, we go to Jim in Coggeshall. Hi, Jim. You want to talk about a plant that you don't know the name of? Is that right, yeah, Jim? That's right. It's uh, actually it's um, a passage from uh, you know La Road. Yeah, the uh, Victor Hugo book. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll, I'll read the passage. Uh, they're in a park, and it's a newly arrived uh, uh, plant from India, and it says uh, it's an odd-looking and charming shrub with a long stem, whose numerous branches, bristling and leafless, and as fine as threads, are covered with a million tiny white rosettes that give the shrub the air of a head of hair studded with flowers. I just, you know, yeah, I sounds that's... lovely. When you find it, can you can you buy one for me as well? Because I'd oh, like right. one. So you can't help. No, <laughs> not from not from that description. It could. No, it oh. it honestly, it depends on what time of year. He's not saying what time of the year it is. That no, could be a it star of be... star of India jasmine. That has, that that fits. Yeah, there's hundreds of plants that fit that sort of description. There oh, really oh, are. Right. Well, I'll, I'll 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 have a look. Go and ask Victor. Go and ask Victor what he was talking about. Oh, right, yeah, I think, I, I think he's long gone. <laughs> oh, is he? All oh, right, OK. Oh, OK, cheers. Oh, okay. Bye, Thanks. Bye, Jim. And we are now going to talk to John in Hutton. Hello, John. Uh, morning, gents. What can um, we do for you, John? Yeah, I've got a problem with my acanthus. Yep. You know, bears breaches. Yes. Uh, this was a self-sown thing, or oh, must be 20, 25 years ago, and I've got a nice clump of it. Uh, it comes up each spring... Nice, bright, shiny leaves. And just about the time when the flower spikes start, the whole lot of the leaves get covered in like a mildew. Yeah. Is there anything I can do about it? I mean, it's only an appearance thing, but uh, it spoils the look of the plant. OK, well, what it is is one of the powdery mildews. Yeah. Powdery mildews are always worse on plants that are under stress. And that stress is usually due to a water shortage at the roots. Now, I know acanthus are, are claimed to be reasonably drought tolerant, but I think your issue is that because you've had it growing in the same ground for 20 years, from what, what it sounds like you've just described, 
I would imagine that the, the ground is quite impoverished. <coughs> Excuse me. It's probably got very little in the way of organic matter, and, and as a result, it dries out, and this is where it causes the stress on the plants. So I think if it was mine, what I would do is I would and I would do it lift now it. is lift it and split yeah. it, and that basically means chopping off some of the uh, the younger, fresher portions from the outside of the clump. The middle clump will be the oldest and the weakest. I'd chuck that away, and I'd keep all the young portions from the outside of the clump and replant those in some better, well-prepared soil. Or, yeah, I may have got overcrowded because one year I didn't take off the uh, seed heads and you can imagine what's happened. No, okay. Okay. Awesome. all right. Yeah. Well, so it sounds that's, like that's, that's, that's what you've got to do. That's the problem. Yeah. Right, so really it's a case of get them all thinned out and uh, go Yeah, there. give it some... Give all the other plants, I mean, they're not suffering from drought or anything, so I don't think it's a, a moisture problem. Well, it'd be a moisture problem because... Because the, they're overcrowded. Because they're overcrowded. Yeah, I mean... For that clump, yeah, thin them out then and yep. uh, try that. Okay, all right, John. Okay, uh, right, thanks a lot. Hello, Anne. Hello, good morning, gentlemen. Um, is it um, time now to spray for back spot or is it too early? Oh, there's a question. There's the a roses, question. Because the roses have started to move, haven't they? Yes. There's a bit of bud <laughs> movement, isn't there? Hey, we, uh, what sort of roses are you talking about, Anne? Are you talking about hybrid teas and floribundas? Yes, I've got all sorts. I've got about, I don't know, 50, 60 rose bushes in the garden. OK, so have you pruned them yet? No. Well, I gave them a light prune in, in, in the autumn. So you, haven't, you it, haven't done their hard pruning yet? Pardon? You haven't done their hard, formative no. pruning yet? No. OK, well, what I tend to do is that I tend to, to, to do my hard pruning, which removes a lot of the old growth where the disease spores overwinter yeah. and, and by hard pruning you're, you're taking away the vast majority of the source of, of the coming year's infection and then when the new growth appears when the new leaf growth appears that is when I start applying a fungicide oh right fine thank you lovely now just one other quick question um, I bought a load of new daffodil and tulip bulbs bulbs in the autumn mm -hmm. and I planted them um, all in one bed on a raised bed um, not long after I'd planted them I found sort of big divots in the ground and wondered whether something had been trying to eat the bulbs now I haven't, I haven't got any bulbs coming through is it because they're new bulbs and they'll take longer than the old established bulbs in the garden. No, that the, a, a new bulb will come into growth <laughs> at exactly, well, more or less exactly the same time as an old, as an old bulb. Yet. I mean, some of the early dafts are up, aren't they? Yeah. Um, tulips have, aren't quite there, are they? Really? It's a bit early just for most bit early I'd, I'd have a rummage around where you planted them just to see if they have, uh, you know, <laughs> they haven't all been stolen by whatever was rummage or, rummaging around in the soil. But no, they'll come up at exactly the same time as the old ones. All right. Okay. Thanks very much, then. Okay. Pleasure. Um, now, George from Hartford said, uh, "Would you still buy bare root roses, or would you wait until they're contained?" <laughs> That's an interesting one, isn't it? And uh, that is an interesting one. Just a reminder: you can get a call in. There's a line free on 0300 200 40 41. Um, well, let's, let's put it this way: when you buy a container. In inverted commas, a container grown. It's not really container grown. No, is it? it's it's containerized because it's basically a bare root plant. It's the root. It's the plant that you get now, isn't yes, it? Yes, that's been <clears> stuck in a container and grown on for a bit. And at this time of year, if you buy a containerized rose, 
the likelihood is it hasn't rooted. So basically you're buying a, a, bare a Beirut rose, a pot, some compost and paying for the man's time to pot it up. And if it hasn't developed a good enough root system and you try and take it out of its pot, all the compost falls off. Any new roots that have been produced are damaged or, or broken off. So to be perfectly honest, at this time of year, if you're looking to buy a rose, I'd go for bare root. And also bare root... If you go to a really good rose nursery or a rose supplier, you'll have a far wider, better selection of varieties to choose from. There's a little comment here. The vegetable, it, it, it comes on from Kath Melandry, I think, and her, what was it, her, she can't cope with our iceberg lettuce oh, right, or something, yes, okay. can she? Her fridge is empty, she said. This vegetable shortage is unnecessary. We wouldn't need to import certain veggies if the government didn't sell off farmland and allotments for development. <laughs> well, it's, there is some truth in that. The, the story is much bigger than... Than that but there is definitely some truth in that but we've also got to remember that we actually export a lot i mean it's like grain we export huge amounts of grain i know we import huge amounts of grain yeah, but there is we... a lot of swapping going on around the world isn't absolutely. there? absolutely and we couldn't grow we uh, couldn't yeah, grow it we really, can't grow we? lettuce at this time of year in we this, can't in grow this french country. beans at this time of year. Green, we can't grow any of the beans. We can't grow... Well, we can. Could we grow courgette? Yeah, if we could under glass, can we? But no, we they couldn't. cost a fortune. No, we, we still couldn't because the light levels, you'd have to put in... Artificial light. You'd have to put in artificial lighting. Which means that the price would be five times as much. and But possibly not as much as the courgettes coming from <laughs> Spain at the moment, which are about 20 times as much. Yeah. So, and, and I think some of the problem, and I'm sorry everybody out there, but I think part of the problem is all these flipping cookery programs that say you know let's in the middle of winter let's let's have a fabulous tomato salad or or some exotic meal where you've got to buy exotic fruit and veg which means it's something that you can't whereas your lamb stewards savoys were fine weren't they yeah absolutely and your potatoes in their jackets I, and your parsnips for the last uh, not every day but for the last month i've made three casseroles and stews and that, and with you know, they're fabulous. Aren't they? Swedes, parsnips, That's carrots, it. absolutely gorgeous. Vicky and Clay Clacton. Hello, Vicky. What we got today for from you? Hello there. I'm not very good at gardening. We've Neither are we, a... Vicky. So join the club. <laughs> I've moved to a property, and I've got a blue spruce tree. It's not large. It's medium size, and there looks like a Christmas tree in the same part, and a hebe and some other plants. Mm -hmm. Now the blue spruce is beautiful, and it's overtaken everything. I don't know how to cut it back. You can't. You'll ruin oh. the shape. I'm oh. afraid blue spruces, Pisces, ABs, that sort of Christmas tree or that sort of conifer, do not like to be pruned. If you do, if you take the top out, which is what you're going to try and do to reduce its height, it'll spread and it will lose its shape completely. To be perfectly honest, in my mind, if you're if it's in the wrong place, if it's getting too tall, the best thing to do is have the whole thing out. Give it, give it, can I, possibly. Can I replant it anywhere else? Well, if you do it carefully and you take a massive root ball, then yes, you can um, replant it, but you're going to have to do it fairly soon and quickly. Oh, okay. I think I may leave it then and just dig up a couple of the other things that's around it. If you enjoy it, if you think that's important, leave it. You could tip, literally tip it, like they do Christmas trees when they make them the to shape. The side branches. The side branches but only. You could tip the side branches, but only tip them with a pair of secateurs. That's okay. all you can do. All right? Lovely. Okay, thank you very much for your help. That's Vicky in Clacton, and we go to Keith in Billericay, and we got to squeeze in Sheila in Church Langley as well. So they are. Let's go Keith first in Billericay. What are we talking, plums? Oh, hello there. Yes, good morning to you. Uh, yes, I've got a Newlands Golden Gage. 
Yep. And uh, it's probably about eight, nine years old now, and I've had about three plums off it. <laughs> I mean, it's growing like wildfire. I mean, I know they, they say that they're slow to bear, but, I mean, this is getting a bit of a joke now. So that's all you've had ever since the tree's been there? Yes. Right, have it out. Have it out. That's put, not good enough have on it that out, one, put, is it? Put it, put in a, a, put it, I mean, Ulin's Golden Gauge is a fabulous variety. Just if, gives, if it should fruit well. If it's been there for that long, yeah, then either I mean, you're... I'm, Either you're in the wrong, fruit. either you're in the wrong position. If you're in a windy position, then then plums are never going to grow well. Uh, it's yeah. probably an over uh, an old tree on an old rootstock, uh, and I would have it out. I probably would you buy another one I'd the buy, same. I'd buy another Ulin's Golden Gauge, but I'd make sure it's on a dwarfing rootstock. Yeah. Because oh, okay, okay. Keith, if it, Keith, if it's on a dwarfing rootstock, rootstock, it will produce fruit so much faster. All oh, right, I see. Yeah, I mean, this is this is growing like wildfire. I mean, no, it's not on it. No, it's no, not on it. It's on the wrong stock. Have it out. Uh, replace it with something better. And go to a decent fruit supplier to see that you get it on a dwarf stock. What what number should you be looking out for? Do you think, Jeff? Uh, for a plum, I'd be probably going for uh, C. It's called C, isn't it? Is it? Uh, uh, no, not Ulan. You're, you're going Ulan's gauge uh, now, aren't you? Oh, oh, well, actually, you might be able to get one on Pixie. If, as it's Pixie a plum, you, you might get one on Pixie, which yeah. would work really Ask well. Ask for Pixie, all right? Right, OK, we'll do. And and we're not taking the mickey. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> a stock. OK, and I'm going to swiftly move on because I said I'd uh, fit in Sheila in Church Langley. Sheila, what's your question on Clematis? Oh, yes, yes, please. I'll make it quick. Uh, what it is, I've got uh, Clematis Montana. Yes. Right, growing right around the front of the house. And right mm-hmm. now it's gone really dark and black-looking. And I'm praying I haven't lost it. Well, the leaves have gone black. Yeah. Uh, okay, you you might have, sadly, uh, and I'm fingers crossed that you haven't. You've got something called bacterial slime flux, oh, which right. which it is does a bac- do that, doesn't it? Don't look at me like that. Which is it a, does go like which that, is a bacterial it? disease, and unfortunately, there are no cures for any bacterial she diseases. Won't know. She won't know actually till spring when she when it it yep. it'll, it'll either flower and grow or it will not or it'll flower and die. Yes. So keep a, keep an eye on it. There's nothing you can do. So keep an eye on it. See what happens in spring. Would you, would you say that they all look black leaved at the moment? Well, that's or... that's one of the symptoms. That's one of the symptoms but of I'd bacterial slime flux. Leave yep. it alone and have a look at it, Jeff. Yep. Just leave it alone and come back to us when it has flowered and see what it has done then. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the answers, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go via our website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11.